This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Matt, do you want to fly? Uh, sure. And away we go. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 302, Purpose in the Machine, is brought to you by the Norwegian prison system. Find food, lots of books, rehabilitate in luxury today. Going deep on the references there. Well done, well done, Pete. Before we get properly rolling tonight, just want to note that we will be at uh, New York Comic Con this upcoming weekend with tons of Marvel TV stuff to share. So certainly, uh, certainly stay tuned on this feed and we'll be updating other feeds as well. Jessica Jones News, Daredevil, Agent Carter, S.H.I.E.L.D., the whole, uh, the whole shebang. Matt, we are New York Comic Con, and you left a little something out, albeit not under the Marvel umbrella that we operate so often under. We will be getting something certainly under the Disney umbrella, a little bit of Star Wars in there on uh, Thursday as well. Uh, Listeners of the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek, of course, knowing that for our little summer series, we did a watch along for Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Rebels season two, um, the the remainder of which will bow October 14th. And uh, we will be on hand for one, a screening of the next two episodes, episodes two and three, as well as a press conference with uh, series executive producer Dave Filoni, um, Ashley Eckstein, who voices Ahsoka, uh, Taylor Gray, who voices Ezra, and of course, Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh, who will play the seventh sister, a character yet to be seen on American TVs. So lots coming at and more surprises even so we'll be on hand for that now pete let's get to the one-handed and sometimes two-handed colson in tonight's episode when we catch you up on what went down in this episode our tease begins in gloucester england 1639 matt a number of gentlemen sitting around a table Black rocks in their hand. One man in a green jacket, however, revealed to be holding a white one. He's given a sword for his journey. There is a door carved with uh, what looked like a Y with a circle around it. He's hesitant, however, to enter it. Eventually does. And no surprise there that the Cree monolith or a Cree monolith, we don't know at this point if it was the same, is behind the door. We hear screams. Uh, Blondie McFancy Pants asks Stiffy O Upper Lip, will he come back? To which the other character tells him that their best minds are working on it, but no one has ever returned. It really is an incredibly compelling opening. It's just this out of left field, what's going on in Gloucestershire, Shire. Um, made me think of the fantastic graphic graphic novel Marvel 1602, which everybody should check out. 
Um, but and not that there's a connection to it directly, just kind of, you know, it's it's oldie times. And, uh, you know, I, I love how the one guy, Petey, reaches into the bag. He takes out the black rock, you know, one white, one black. He's the one who's picked to picked to go battle the beast. And I just love that there's this this history that the show has referred to. We see a little sliver of it here. Please stop with your strange British Doctor What strange references. No one's getting them. Matt, I loved that for like the first minute and change of this episode, you weren't exactly certain you were watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that you had flipped to the wrong channel, and that it could pull you in on top of doing that at the same time without needing our cast of Coulson and Sky, Daisy, whatever we're going to call her this episode. So I think that's well, the ultimate. Well, I think we're going to keep calling her, her Daisy, <laughs> Pete, except for the paternal oh, moment later on in the episode where Coulson reverts. Except for Coulson, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that's a testament too to uh, you know director Kevin Tantarone's wonderful uh, blocking of uh, you know characters we never saw again. A Kevin Tancherone directed episode is noticeably different. And, you know, even though I tweeted that to him after his credit came up, it really was the case that, you know, before the credits were done and before his credit appeared, this show just looked different and it just had that extra bit of energy. He really, truly is a talented guy. And, uh, you know, I think there, there's obviously big things in his career. Uh, you know, the, the big things are ahead of him. Bigger things are ahead of him. And uh, I just hope he can direct more of this show on his way up, up, up. If only Pete, the, you know, there was like a place for comic book action directors uh, to maybe go beyond television. I don't know. Matt, I am certain he's going to find fame. He's going to live forever. Well, joking aside, I'm going to make a prediction. He directs the Inhumans movie. Hey, make it so. Act one begins with Daisy talking about Joey, that uh, she thinks he's good, that uh, he's somebody they can rely on. Mac talks about how uh, Dr. Andrew Garner, uh, played, of course, by Blair Underwood, in a reference here, uh, will make his recommendation. And Daisy talks about how everyone that she has seen him evaluate to this point has been put on a three-month wait same as the others. There's a quick interruption that Fitz has broken in, so we know that this episode has begun immediately following the events of last week's season three opener. It's such a great chemistry that that uh, the two of them have, Daisy and Mac. And I know, um, I know, we discussed it a bit last week in terms of them now being kind of, uh, you know operational partners here on here in shield um it something just clicks between the two of them it works you know it's yeah. not it's not you know ooh, will they won't they it's not it's totally professional but the, it just clicks it really really works without needing to go for those romantic trope uh, you know type things and henry simmons mac just brings such a grounded real world ordinary guy who's seen some stuff and some things uh, you know, every man vibe, and and I love it. And I mean, I, I love Pete. You've pointed out that he's an every man. I mean, for, for for those who don't know, Pete and I both, 
you know, are, are as, as tall and as muscular as Henry Simmons. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just, there's really no need to doubt that every man. I feel like, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm just a slightly more pale version of Henry Simmons when I look in the, when I look in the mirror. And I'm going to talk a little deeper right now. <laughs> uh, but they head into the safe room where the monolith is being kept and get fits out safely just in time before it liquefies. Uh, Fitz is determined he won't give up here, and he's discovered that there is sand, Matt, impossible sand, sand that predates the Earth by, uh, I believe he said a million years, but sometimes the British accent throws me. Did he say billion? Pete, I know to your to your non-British ears, M's and B's sound very familiar. I heard a billion years. Also, the the notion of this impossible sand helping him find his way to the impossible girl. Uh, also, couldn't help but notice that uh, Fantastic Four, the movie, which uh, which w- you know we spoke to a very nice young man who was in the movie. Yes. We did not review the movie on any no. of our podcasts. <laughs> that can speak for itself. Nor will we. <laughs> nor indeed, nor will we. Uh, that too is a movie that deals with um, sand and makes it a lot less interesting than it is in this episode. Yeah. But uh, they they know that this is from a planet. It's very old, and it has been carried back. That Fitz has uh, ascertained there is a crack in space time. But Coulson points out it's it's been three months, and uh, asks Fitz, however, what he needs. To which Fitz, uh, you know, reels off a bunch of things. A, an expert on Einstein, Rosenbridges, you know, black holes, things like that, and. If you were begging for it, you got it. And a sandwich would be nice. But Gemma's not there to make the pesto aioli spread. Sad face. Pete, I know a lot of our listeners were very at home with the notion of this Scotsman running around saying crazy, timey-wimey stuff, talking about the box that would take them through space and time. It just, It just felt like home. Matt, I don't watch Outlander, so please stop making these references, okay? Um, Coulson talks with uh, Bobby quickly and uh, reveals that he knew that uh, she was covering for Fitz. I love there were a series of reveals in this early act where Coulson uh, lets us know, you know, and other characters, he knows everything that's going on. Uh, despite the fact that he seems extraordinarily distracted, uh, his new limb, this challenge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Bobby uh, says that uh, Coulson would be pissed if um, he knew what Hunter had planned as far as going after Ward and their uh, pending vengeance. Um, And uh, Hunter says, you know, asks Bobby, do you really think that he's the head of, Hydra here. There's so much in this episode uh, that is kind of payoff, but it's only the second episode of the season. So it was this very weird feeling where the episode is completely effective, but on the same time, it's like, oh, hey, that thing from last week. Yeah, I knew about that. And um, some more payoff to come, which we can discuss in due course. But um, there's just such a familiarity that this episode somehow brings, despite you know, being at the very beginning of a new storyline. 
yes, you know, this in many a res that we get. Uh, and when Colson asked Bobby, you know, who's been aching to get out of the lab here, uh, get off the DL as Daisy had cast her, um, you know, if she wants to fly, she says desperately. And then, you know, the, the quick little wink and a nod from Colson to Hunter and Hunter makes sure he does that he dies ward. Um, you know, I, I think that's the best way to tell a story like this. Now, Pete, if I was writing the episode off of that Ward reference, I would then cut to Ward. And they did in a fast car here, um, having a discussion with his nameless number two, <laughs> only to reveal in the discussion here talking about Hydra's elitist, entitled, soft uh, underbelly of, uh, you know, these people who never reach their potential, that there is a guy riding on the hood <laughs> that they're trying to shake down. Does he belong in this uh, new Hydra or not? That the people around him, once he's thrown off the hood, they proved in blood and that this character here needs to show he's not dead weight too. So tell me, where's the kid? It is an incredibly effective way to reintroduce Ward to the story. Uh, yes, he's only been gone one episode, but the flip side is it's also been, you know, it's been over that lengthy summer break. So, so often, Pete, we talk about the, 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 the burden of exposition and how people need to be explaining things. And this just flew as fast as the car, you know, was speeding along where you're not even noticing that he's just reminding everybody Hydra and rebuilding and I'm a bad guy and I do dangerous, wild and crazy things and setting up the, uh, the search for, uh, who I would come to call KVS. Which, which which we'll get to when he gets named as well but it's it's it, it, it the scene just absolutely works yay ward is back we're we're better for it and clearly because he's such a bad guy that means that he's gonna fall in love with sky again you can all keep <coughs> counting on that i'm sure that's not two seasons ago <laughs> we're whisked away from there to norway where uh dr elliot randolph is incarcerated and he explains here that he couldn't help himself. There was destruction of property. There was drunkenness. And uh, he's comfortable, however, in this Norwegian prison. Uh, he's got all the food and the books he can, uh, he can hope for. And that uh, a couple of uh, months may go by. They may want to come back and check on him. But they mention this portal. And he is suddenly engaged he uh lifts the cell door off of its pins there and uh he comes out on his own but not before he tells the guards that colson did it it's all a matter of leverage this scene the affect of it is so wonderful it's so evocative i mean you know prison this awful thing meanwhile he's an ageless guy he's got time on his hands it's an opportunity for him as you said pete to just kind of take life in the slow lane books bed food it's it's just so wonderful that if you have all the time in the world what's what's a stretch of a couple months in prison or a couple years in prison particularly if you're looking to stay out of the public eye you know again prison in norway that you you would never think oh that's that's where i'm gonna find you know the the the, the hidden mysterious bad guy wonderful wonderful scene 
Act two sees Dr. Andrew Garner show up on a plane here to meet Daisy and Mac. He has not approved any inhumans for active duty just yet. And, uh, He's also told that he's not getting Daisy on his couch today. Asked where May is, he doesn't know. Uh, tells Daisy to ask her herself. And then we see May golfing in Sun City, Arizona. I read that that scene with uh, with Andrew slightly differently when he said, ask her yourself. I thought it was more, you know, I'm, I'm a man of... I don't want to quite say secrets, but obviously as a psychologist, he he is a man of confidentiality, shall we say. So I think it was just this notion of maybe he does know where May is, but that's not his place to say. That's a that's a that's a Daisy May relationship, and it's not his place to to go one way or the other. But all this anticipation of where is May, where is May, um, it's just so great to see Ming Na back, and hopefully that was a wonderful, you know, nice. Nice easy shoot there at the golf course, and to see her with the the venerable longtime actor James Wong was uh, was a pleasure as well. Yes, this older Asian man that she's with, we do not yet understand until a couple lines in that this is probably her father, which is confirmed a scene later. But uh, tells him that he needs to work that hip. And she explains, I'm sorry, he explains that 20 years with your mother taught me to pick up other things and to pick up that Millie, as she was referred to here, uh, there's something going on with her. Her trip with Andrew, which was revealed by May to have been to Maui, uh, that something is not right. Pete, I couldn't help but think in this scene that uh, James Wong, who... Uh, born in Minnesota, by the way, um, uh, was educated in Hong Kong, came back to this country, became an actor, so on and so forth. Early acting roles as an Asian man in the 50s were things like South Korean trainee pilot and Chinese policeman number two. Here he is all these years later with a show that has uh, not one but two Asian leads, a co-showrunner who is Asian, and uh, I mean, the, the, oh, how the world has changed uh, around him and for him and uh, change for the better in his uh, 80 plus years on this world and his his seven decades as an actor in yeah. Hollywood. And so great that, you know, not that it's not a great movie, but can be doing so much more than just causing big trouble in little China. <laughs> Pete, I have no response other than to say uh, it's made clear in the scene that May... She's working through her business. She is back with Dr. Randolph. And uh, he gets to see the monolith for the first time, which is doing its uh, liquefaction. And he asks, how often is it doing that? Something is clearly triggering it. But his end game quickly is revealed. He wants to destroy this something we will certainly talk about in our level seven segment. And uh, he refers to Bobby as Amazon woman and Colson as robot hand. So, man, I ask you, is that the next spinoff series? Marvel's Amazon woman and robot hand. 
Pete, I think that we can announce what we were made aware of uh, uh, not too long ago. That uh, no, absolutely not. But he is, uh, you know, falling on the possibility that this is Cree. He is shown the scroll that Fitz retrieved from Morocco, the uh, previous episode with the Hebrew word for death. He's seen this carved before in a castle in Gloucester in 1853 to the plane. Wait a minute, Pete. Didn't we have an earlier scene in this very episode, which took place in a stone edge castle? It's all connected. But before that, Matt, we go to Ibiza. Do you mean Ibiza? Matt, noobs and the uncultured, such as yourself, pronounce the Z that way. It is actually pronounced Ibiza. Well, Pete, I will be the first one to admit that you are much more cultured than I am. What with your tales of riding and hovercrafts in the new Jacob Javits Center back in the day. A story that I get to hear each year at New York Comic Con. (laughs) Hail Hydra. And speaking of Hydra, Matt, uh, eyeing a fancy yacht here on the port of Ibiza is uh, Ward and uh, somebody he refers to as uh, Mr. Braun. And uh, before we know it, uh, it's uh, this assistant, a nameless assistant, dumping rats onto this boat. There's a mad dash off once the Kardashian types see vermin. And uh, Ward is taking out bodyguards left and right. Uh, he tells then the Roger, rather cultured but young Zuckerberg lookalike on the yacht here <laughs> that... Uh, it's a good thing he dropped by. He's an exterminator before he punches young Zuckerberg out. That the, the fight scene that Ward had with those three guards was absolutely spectacular. Once again, this is what Kevin Tantaroan brings to these episodes. It just had that extra zip to it. Yeah. Um, that, that extra bit of kind of action whimsy, if you will. I mean... How many times have you seen a fight on a boat and they haven't knocked somebody off down two stories into the water? Just cries out for it and Tantarone goes for it. Um, by the way, Pete, I like to think of his little helper guy. My little my little name for him, my, my, my head cannon name for him is BB Ain't. That's <laughs> <laughs> The BB is short for British Baldy and the right. Ain't is because he ain't going to be in many more episodes now that they've introduced KVS. What does KVS stand for? Stay tuned, dear listeners. Yes. Back to the castle uh, and uh, Dr. Randolph here looking around reveals that the symbol, which was believed to be Hebrew for death, another possible interpretation is death by punishment. That it was carved. He had seen it carved in an English castle before. There was a man dressed as an owl. There were ritualistic killings. There were fire dancers. Uh, all of which, of course, the uh, libatious uh, Dr. Randolph was prone in his uh, salad days to get caught up in. Now, this may be a stretch. And I'm certainly not saying authoritatively that what I'm suggesting is true. But... Over on the increasingly 
more awful uh, television show Gotham. Uh, there's some speculation that some of the storylines are headed towards uh, a Batman story involving the League of Owls or something owls. And it had just crossed my mind if this was maybe a slight little shot across the bow of like, oh, you have the crazy like owl bunch who's going to whatever. Yeah, we're just going to dismiss that and we're going to keep on moving over here on Marvel TV. You know what? It doesn't even deign a response, Matt, because Marvel's just working on such another level right now. To to tweak DC is just so beneath them. Well, I look forward to Marvel's answer to a Jim Gordon, Alfred, Lady Doctor love triangle. <laughs> With the reference to the owl and the symbol, Coulson reveals that this is why he got rid of all the S.H.I.E.L.D. logos, although he's called out on the fact that... Uh, Bobby has seen a giant eagle on the top of their plane. But that's only if you're up above it. So that's like 50% of the time that you come across the Zephyr one, you would you would see it. So 50% of the time you don't. And then there's the times that it's cloaked. So, Pete, I'll allow it. Yeah. But despite the fact that uh, that screams for attention, Matt, what does not is the secret door that they find after you act three begins with uh daisy speaking to dr garner here and she predicts that joey is not ready he of course explains what we already have seen just reminding our viewers that the guy liquefies metal but then he quickly gets into talking about not Daisy's team, but Colson's team in terms of the desperation that they're showing right now, then it could lead to mistakes. He criticizes these non-inhumans and tells Daisy that she's turning into a leader and suddenly she is on the couch, Matt. The whole progression here in this scene uh, was wonderful. A, it shows that Andrew exists as a character not just to be you know, a foil to May that he he's this, you know, well-rounded character that has the personal connection to May as well as, you know, the psychological background to to perform a service for S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, on top of that, I mean, there is just that organic way in which, oh, all of a sudden you see her sitting down. And I think the audience is intentionally about 10 seconds ahead of her realization. And it just effortlessly shows that he's a really great psychologist and you know, it's not that he's overly probing because, oh, she must work out her demons or whatever. If his job is to take the the, the mental temperature of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's going to do that whenever he can because, you know, ultimately, as he had said earlier, he is there to protect everyone. And Matt, I think only an outsider or a pseudo outsider to S.H.I.E.L.D. right now could get away with saying the thing that he did. What thing is that? You know, Matt, the thing, the secret warriors. Oh, he said it. He said the thing. He did. We go from there back to May and uh, her father in a kitchen. He's uh, chopping some stuff up and then he reveals he's got something to show her. Pete, this notion of the the tough Melinda May having this history of uh, the difficult, but you know, kind of thought to be rather uh, elegant and feminine and, and dainty 
uh, figure skating on ice and all of that. It's it's just a wonderful addition to the character and capped off by his wonderful line um, that she focuses on falling down on the ice, but he focuses on how she gets up. And just wonderful perspective there on how uh, not just she approaches life, but uh, how we all approach life. That and the obsession with Dorothy Hamill. And can we please maybe get a flashback of uh, Ming-Na Wen in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, circa Dorothy Hamill haircut? Pete, it just cries out to have the the long awaited agents of shield the goldbergs crossover moment <laughs> there she will be watching the olympics or talking about it at school the next day and who's behind her kid goldberg there you go but it it serves again character and story talking about how her time in figure skating led her to martial arts they're interrupted asking her father there if she's expecting somebody almost Matt. I think a little bit of a double take for an unaware audience member. Like she had a power hearing that for a second. Did you catch that? I did. And it seemed, it did seem kind of slightly strange, but I I don't think there's quite enough evidence to, um, to, to run with it at this point. Yeah, and that it's Hunter that she nearly decapitates him opening the door. Obviously, it's a transitional scene, but um, I don't know. I I just found it a a curious inclusion, and uh, perhaps we'll talk about it a little bit in Level 7. Ooh, can't wait. Back at the castle, Dr. Randolph has led... Uh, Colson's group into another room, which he says was not on the last tour. Bobby tells him, however, that it reminds her of the bunker under the Louvre, which the uh, good doctor is unaware of. Now he's going to have to go back and check. <laughs> it's It certainly is um, a fun story progression here, this bit with the castle. Um, it's it's out of the normal shield element. I mean, you kind of think of your average shield episode as being kind of somewhat future tech kind of spy stuff. And here they are kind of Indiana Jonesing it, um, which, uh, Hey, I guess there's another crossover possibility there, but um, it's, it's great to be spending time in this castle. Bobby, here's water. There's a hole in the center of the room, like a well, but Matt, we've done the well storyline back in, you know, season one. Um, they quickly determined this was made to hold the monolith. And Colson gets Mac on the phone there, says that he needs to load something onto Zephyr One. Yeah, you're not gonna like it. And thank goodness Zephyr One can fly so fast from what is you know, the, the, the show has given us enough clues that the S.H.I.E.L.D. base is in the Washington, D.C. area. So to fly from there to Engeland uh, with uh, with the super fast jet, it's like an hour. That's just the math. That's the way it is. Back with Ward here with his uh, his prey. Uh, he tells his assistant here the aforementioned Matt named BB-8. 
that uh, he's got to get the banking passwords here. So teeth, eyes, fingers, they're all on the table and they might wind up on the table, Matt. This is the first scene. um, And I know it's only the second scene for uh for the character but it's when i was saying you know i i must have missed his name i must have looked away for a second i'm gonna call him boat guy um the fact that the show is uh moving at such a pace where it's not obvious that they are intentionally not naming him is is just a wonderful little story flourish the fact that they're saving a pretty decently good reveal for a little bit later uh is well earned in this scene and quickly whisked back to uh, Hunter hanging out with May. And there's just an ease in Nick Blood's uh, dialogue and his, his character next to the buttoned-up uh, May here that the speculation as to why she's gone AWOL, was it a spiritual crisis that uh, he knows that she didn't elope with uh, her ex there and that she's heard about Simmons. There's discussion of sloppy payphone usage, but Hunter cuts to the chase. He wants her skills. He plans to put Ward six feet under. And then Matt, I thought the very pregnant discussion of her father's injury the whole scene was fantastic and as you said it circles around hunter here in that he's there for the soft sell but is going to start to let information out that he and shield and colson have been keeping an eye on her and there, there hasn't been as big a secret existence of hers as she thought and then, as you say, Pete, this notion that uh, Papa May's accident was perhaps via Ward, uh, that certainly ups the ante in terms of trying to get May off the bench. I like that the show cuts against that that supposition there on Hunter's part and keeps her there. Not that I want to see Ming-Na Wen on the bench, but just the fact that you know her character is dealing with some stuff and some things. Uh, I, I kind of like that there's now increased tension because we know she's coming back soon and she's going to come back guns a-blazing. Uh, but until then, there's kind of this, you know, there's this sort of Damocles via Ward. Back at the castle where the monolith has now been lowered into the secret room, Daisy has joined them on the ground as well and uh, reveals that uh, Dr. Garner has said that Coulson is desperate. So again, Coulson being on top of just about everything to get that. Uh, Fitz throws a lever. There's water. They're shaking the um, monolith lowered into the well, liquefies, but uh, does it a little bit differently in that receptacle. Um, Daisy grabs her head. It fires a flare into it. Daisy's nose then bleeds. She falls and the monolith re-solidifies to end Act 3. It's a really evocative scene and one that I only realized in retrospect makes the flare uh, a Chekhov's flare, if you will. Makes it where, oh, they're going to have to do something with that. But there's all these other things going on where you see the flare get fired. It's so important to the story later on particularly since they're somehow bent on wrapping up the Simmons story ASAP, which I'll take umbrage with in a little bit. But um, 
just a great scene where there's the mystery of now the monolith is you know waving differently and what's going on with daisy and uh as you said pete a great act end matt you could say that fitz has a flair for the dramatic i think that uh, you absolutely could say that and and from other people it might be funny Act four, and Coulson wants to know, Matt, is Sky okay? Good news, Pete. Sky's okay. Oh, but we're not supposed to call her Sky anymore. It's Daisy, sir. As as we hit on uh, a bit briefly before, I, I just like this little insertion in the story here that, uh, you know, he'll always be Sky to her. And, and there's just... In that in that one little line or two lines rather, which is him saying it and then the 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 pointing out of the mistake. Um, a, it's a nice little bridge for us that are still getting used to calling her Daisy. Um, but B, it's just there's something that's paternal and something that's um, brotherly about it, and there's something that's so caring about it. It's all those things in a mistaken name and a correction, and it's uh, it's really tremendously well done. But Matt, the pulsing sound was killing Daisy. What pulsing sound, you say? And Pete, that's the first clue that there might be something sound-related here that we might be able to to, to make use of, particularly if we have a sound-making, fist-pushing person. Back to our Zuckerberg-esque character and our BB Ain't Tough who is trying to extract these bank codes out of him and surprise TV writing Zuckerberg wannabe quickly gains the upper hand. I was surprised at how vicious his response was back. I think that you could easily have made the argument at the writer level, the producer level, the network level. Okay, just have him, you know, have him beat up the British guy a little bit. Doesn't need to be the stabbing and the off camera, you know, multiple hits and so on and so forth. But why do they do that? Because this guy is about to be given serious pedigree and clearly the character is going to be recurring for at least another episode. So they need to give this guy oomph behind his, behind his hits. And to do that, BB ain't, ain't in charge anymore. He's on the flow. And Ward reveals that Zuckerberg is actually Werner von Strucker, uh, the child of the dearly departed, to some of us, Matt, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Uh, there is, I believe at this point, the, the, the line, or perhaps in the next, uh, Ward and Kid von Strucker, KVS, uh, you know, copyright Fantastic Geek 2015, um, <laughs> There's some reference to, you know, Papa Von Strucker died a meaningless death, which was my feeling watching Avengers. You've set him up in this cool, you know, cool uh, secret scene. And what's the mystery and this and that the other. And then he kind of, you know, buys it rather early in uh, in Age of Ultron, the inferior 2015 Marvel movie, I might add. Mm-hmm. Um, but a really kind of gleefully evilly fun reveal here that you know we're putting the band back together and we're getting kid von Strucker. well little head of the meaningless death line here however having beaten ward's uh hired hand here down uh ward tells um 
KVS that his old man would have been proud. And come on, I brought tacos. Oh, that's so Ward. He's such a taco fan. From there, we're with uh, May and her father again. And her father is quick to point out that uh, Melinda, you know, Millie, has unfinished business. This, Pete, is where there's the reference to her hitting the ice and him uh, or him remembering her getting up again. Yes. Wonderful moment. And, I mean, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but to see James Wong here, um, fantastic from from forehead to toe. And I mentioned that because I don't think he had a very good wig on. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. But just in in the course of the dialogue there that she's like her mother with the silence and that she takes after her in every way, but there's worse things than being uh, your mother's daughter. She wants a normal life away from shield. But as he points out, that's not going to happen so long as she's stashing a handgun in her golf bag and the pain of hitting the ice the, the memory of that resurfaces, but as you pointed out before, what he always focused on was how she always got up. And speaking of things getting up, we cut to Ward and Kid Von Strucker. New Hydra's getting on up in the world, Pete. They are. We are. We're back. And uh, Wait, <laughs> Werner explains that he should have killed Ward as they seemingly walk through pretty much the same, I think it was the same exact actors and background as the scene at the end of the credits of Captain America Winter Soldier. They just threw his son in there. You know, it's de rigueur uh, preparing uh, operations underground room looking thing. I mean, if you saw the the, the twins there, show up you would have been like all right it's, it's we're getting ready for ultron pete every hydra cell has welder guy box <laughs> mover guy and um sweeper guy it's just it's part of the plan matt how do you know our roster <laughs> but anyway um ward talks about the father here uh baron von strucker's meaningless death and talks about how hydra will be rebuilt the right way right down to our revised logo quite a good logo too and an opportunity to uh push some merch undoubtedly we'll see that new logo at uh, new york comic-con in just two count them two days pete it's like new coke matt i just hope it lasts a little longer <laughs> so back in the castle here uh fits uh, comes up with the notion that the room that they are in is a speaker and that the monolith is an amplifier. But Daisy can help. Pete, this is the story of the little speaker that could. She just <laughs> needed to say to herself, I can't amplify the sound waves into the monolith. I can't amplify the sound monolith. Yeah, I can only do yeah. that once. But that's what she is going to do. And you know what, Pete? I believe she can do it too. So as we begin our final act here, um, Dr. Randolph uh, talks about how this is 
the world's largest subwoofer. Daisy is confident she can hold whatever she's about to for about a minute. And Bobby says here that if Daisy can hold what she reveals is a probe, they can get a visual on the other side. Dr. Randolph, however, is confused. He doesn't know what they plan to do. And uh, suddenly we're going going uh, into the well here with Daisy's hands and her powers. And again, if you have not seen the Fantastic Four movie, um, this show does it better and has ruined an already ruined movie for you in terms of let's create a portal to another planet where nothing is going on. In fact, Pete, I would argue that this planet, which Fitz is about to visit, um, more goes on there even without... Our, our heroine in Sim, uh, Simmons, um, more goes on there than we ever saw in the Fantastic Four Planet of Boar. I thought it was another dimension, although there was a lot of things I was confused about with that movie. But anyway, back to the better Marvel Universe and uh, Probe goes in and so does Fitz. He says, hold it as long as you can and he jumps in on the other side the same storm-ravaged blue landscape that we saw in last episode's tag scene is visible. And uh, Daisy is struggling to hold the probe. Uh, we see Gemma. We see close-up of Hands. Coulson yells to pull him back. Hands again. Music swells. Dust bursts up. And there's rope in the well Fitz is there too and he's not alone matt indeed simmons has come back resolving a mystery that on the one hand we chewed on chewed on all summer but on the flip side is less than two complete episodes ago and here i here i wag my finger at the show it was such a great mystery and out of left field to have her sucked in there to now have it resolved apparently for good i mean the thing is is broken and and you know everything about this particular conflict is done with um maybe next week you know having not seen the preview even maybe next week there's some sort of oh it was you know terribly awful and what three months have gone by or you know whatever they kind of do some wrap up but unless this is a you know, uh, a story thread from which they are going to bounce off and build, build, build. Uh, I kind of have a bit of a problem with the fact that they wrapped it up so quickly. Matt, I do not. However, I'm going to scapegoat the revised nature of episodic television. Uh, you know, the last decade teased out, uh, I think deliciously so, but through the nature of broadcast um you know, a lot of mysteries really got tedious for some people. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe reference here some show you watched called Lost. I think you did a little something with it too. But the mystery of the hatch and how, you know, new episode to rerun episode, back to new episode, back to rerun episode. It was 11 weeks before you knew that 
they would open it but not even go in and there. So I think we know somebody who's connected with Marvel television who has some very strong feelings about simplifying mystery. Yes, just because Jeff Loeb didn't like his time in the writer's room for the second season of Lost, he now has decided that every mystery must be resolved as quickly as possible. Last season, we had a seven-episode, perhaps eight, but I think it was a seven-episode stretch from, oh no, Coulson's brain makes alien shapes, what's up with that, to, hey, it's done with. It's a map, the end. Coulson's brain is saved. Um, here we are given a scant two episodes and, and, and not even all of two to solve the problem. Um, I hear what you're saying that perhaps the, certainly the broadcast TV, uh, appetite for multi-week, multi-month, multi-year mysteries has waned. If you want, I mean, I would even argue that on, on basic cable and premium channels and whatnot, that's the case too, because they're doing shorter episodes. So, Ooh, what's the mystery of season one in Fargo? Find out in ten episodes. That's it. The end. For, the end of that season. We are done. Being that you know, being that as it may, though, two episodes to wrap up the giant stone that turns into goo that steals Simmons to another dimension, planet, land. Bit fast for me. Slow down. Slow down. You don't need to move that fast. Daisy collapses and our every man Mac with a with a a caring comment here. You did good, Tremors. You did good. Uh, good old uh, good old Daisy and Mac. There's your spinoff. <laughs> Back on the Zephyr One, which I'm abbreviating Z One. Uh, it's revealed there is no sign of radiation or infection in Gemma Simmons. Dr. Randolph uh, comments here that Coulson lived up to his side of the bargain, that the portal is destroyed, but turns his attention. Um, what exactly is Daisy? She's, uh, well, they're calling themselves inhumans, Pete. <gasps> but wait, Pete, is that a new word? It's a word that uh, Dr. Vigo has not heard in a very long time. Oh, but I woo. So one doctor begets another. Uh, Dr. Um, Andrew Garner talks to uh, the team here that uh, they pulled off a miracle today that uh, Simmons is back telling... uh, telling May, and uh, she puts her guns away and tells a rather excited Hunter. I really liked Hunter's reaction here. It's it's a small part that Nick Blood has in this episode, not necessarily in terms of time on screen, although it's not superfluous, but he's basically just doing a lot of reacting and talking and telling, things of that sort. But he looks so gobsmacked, so relieved, so elated, all of those things in the one kind of long shot that he has for to, to share those emotions. Um, it, it's, it just shows what a charming actor he is. Boy, Matt, I, I hope he lasts the season. So Simmons, uh, she wakes up. She's got a shiv in her hand, something uh, she learned maybe on her time in this other planet uh, using whatever she can find to defend herself. 
Fitz is there keeping watch, but he's fallen asleep. Uh, sweatily, she tries to as well. I hope that that little sticky stick is proof that we're going to hear more about it as opposed to next week she just puts on a new sweater and goes, boy, that was incredibly awful. Uh, I hope I will be able to get over my traumatic experience in a couple of episodes. And, you know, it just kind of quickly wraps up like that. Um, I guess time will tell. As you said, Pete, episodic nature of television, they may have had intentions to do xyz and one two three and then the simmons saga gets cut down to two episodes and then the follow-up that you want to do gets swallowed up by something else but uh we will see tag scene here features dr andrew garner once more at a university and uh we can tell from the voice and the angles, thanks again, Kevin Tancheron, with the expert direction, that this is uh, KVS, Werner von Strucke, who has just added uh, Dr. Garner's class to his schedule. You know, those psychology majors, they, uh, they're all trying to figure out their families, right, Matt? Absolutely. In fact, hey, Professor, thanks for letting me join your class. I think I want to be whatever it is that you do. Oh, and I have a really screwed up family. I I think that Kevin Tancherowin made the best out of a scene which was not uh, perfectly put uh, or perfectly written. Like, (laughs) it's no surprise that it's him, in part because we've spent a serious amount of the episode with this new guy who has an interesting face and, you know, tall muscular so on and so forth uh the only curly blonde haired guy i can remember being on the show certainly the only one in this episode so i I think the show overplayed the the mystery of it or you know which is to say kevin tancherowin gets total pass here i think this is just what was on the page the dossier a detailed look at our bad guys. Matt, first up, Ward. Great to have him back. Uh, there is a gleefulness that Brett Dalton brings to this character where I think a lot of fans, despite my my jab at the shippers and the skywards, um, I sometimes wonder, oh, what must it be like for an actor where you started as a good guy and now you're a bad guy and you're not in every episode and all that? I don't think he's concerned about those particulars. I think he's concerned about making the most out of this character. And this is a character who gets great fights, awesome tags, mood swings. This is a much more fun character, I think, for him to play than, you know, um, CSI Tech Smith, and I'm gonna go on the computer and do a montage so I can tell you where the glass broke. It is fun, Matt, but I think I'm gonna surprise a lot of people when I say here that I find out and out evil ward to be the least interesting ward, and I'm gonna tell you why. Um, and we don't need to rehash so much of that that played out on Twitter and, and elsewhere late last spring about you know ward and he's an awful person etc etc but i think the most interesting ward is the bad person who believes somehow he's good the best villains don't think they're bad and i think when an actor who has a shakespearean background i mean um 
Brett uh, Dalton just tweeted the other day about a, a Shakespearean sonnet slam he's about to be involved in when he just plays the 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 human death machine uh, uh, cruising through a yacht and taking out guys. He's not interesting. I want to see the manipulative. I want to see if he's if he's going to play it that way. Let's play it that way. And, and get him some better writing because I, I don't think this ward is as interesting as the character he's played at other times throughout this series. I honestly don't think that the show knows exactly what to do with him. Uh, I have a hard time believing that the season long occasional threat is going to be new Hydra, just like there was old Hydra and better Hydra in the first season. Um, Maybe they do have a really intricate long-term plan. Maybe they're just treading water. I think that was his use for much of much of the season last last season. Um, where again, they didn't quite know what to do with him. So he's in, he's out, he's recruited, he's this, he's that. Um, I, I I even wondered during this episode, do they kill off Ward this season for uh, effect? And I'm certainly not a proponent of that. But I really think they don't know what to do with this guy. I really do. Matt, uh, let's not forget, you're talking to a car-carrying member, and then it's also Spoiler Pete up in the house. Hydra is in Captain America Civil War. Um, Baron Zemo is a big character in that story. So Hydra, new Hydra, old Hydra, we're not going away anytime soon. Fair enough. So how about this new Hydra? What'd you make of these uh, thugs here circling up this guy that, that is thrown off the hood of a car? Um, what, do you, what do you think about the way we've rebranded? It's, it's a compelling way to show a certain edge and a certain Fight Club aesthetic. Um, Though I didn't have the problems with Ward as you did, I, I think I'm in a similar boat when it comes to the Hydra 2.0 thing. Like, oh, they're badder. To to re- get recruited in, you have to survive a fast car spinning around in an inside <laughs> concrete space with non-dodgy guys. Like, uh, okay, I get the message. It's just not a very compelling one. Well, let's talk about compelling with uh, Dr. Elliot Randolph here, or as I like to call him, Dr. Asgard. We catch up to him first in prison, not the place we thought we'd really resume with his story. I like that they were able to go back into, into previous characters and kind of pluck him out. The episode that he was in, that was The Well, right, Pete? Correct. All right. I mean, it was not a particularly compelling episode at the time. It was not a, you know, the show was still finding itself, finding its feet, as we've said a zillion times before they started to do the Hydra storyline of season one. Um, but I like that they could kind of go back and smooth out the rough edge of that episode by, frankly, a better use here. Kind of the sad sack, you know. I'm not a Thor guy. I just kind of like to hang out on Earth and and meh. It just worked better here for him to be kind of the the wise old frumpy guy as opposed to the the greater threats that there were last time. Yeah, and to bring him back 
two seasons later, I mean, geez, who would who would figure we'd bring Peter Manickel back before we got to Gravitron again? But I, I think a, a welcome return and the edge that a seemingly nerdy character and actor brings to this particular character. Um, you know, the, the Asgardian drinker, lover of women, not the noble esque nature of, you know, Thor's family, the, the Odin clan there. Um, I think really fun too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, let's talk about the new kid on the block, Matt. You dubbed him KVS, Werner von Strucker. He's just a really fun addition. Um, something tells me his exit is going to be sooner than not. Um, but it, just the notion of this kind of, you know, rich, you know, lunkhead type um, who also kind of has this very awing look at what Hydra was and and um, the daddy issues of, you know, Papa never let me into Hydra much, but now, <laughs> now I can almost know him better for being part of it, or nay, even surpass it. Um, and, and I'm going to open up, you know, HydraFacebook.com. It's, right. <laughs> he, he's a fun character you, with you lots stole, of you, you, you stole my joke there. Maybe he'll get a couple twins that they'll, I'll have an argument with, but um, is it cliche, Matt? The uh, my daddy held me at arm's length, but you know what? I'm just anxious to do the family business now. Um, if it's cliche, I'd say it works. You know, it it's 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 fun, and that's the portion of the show where you know if we have the the black hatted villain twirling his mustache. It's it's cooking here, and it's 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 okay in my book. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. Let's begin with the Asgardian beef with the Cree portal. What's that all about? I have absolutely no idea, and I don't know if it's supposed to be. Uh, I mean, it's not quite techno babble, but I don't know if it's like mytho babble in terms of like, oh, the thing because magic and space and woo. So now <laughs> the ending is explained. I don't. So again, I don't know if it was writerly sleight of hand or if they're going to do something with it. But I got no theory for that. I just have a, a wary eye towards the writer's room. Well, remember that our Asgardians can travel on the Rainbow Bridge and that it had been for a period of time in, the, in this Marvel Cinematic Universe out of commission, but um, that there could be other modes of transportation to traverse such gigantic uh, you know, distances, also dealing with what... Uh, Fitz labeled an Einstein Rosen bridge, which again, a black hole effect that, uh, you know, Dr. Foster, uh, Thor's lady love also is a foremost expert on not quite sure why they didn't bring Natalie Portman in on this episode, but anyway, um, it's all about the Benjamins Pete. <laughs> good, good luck at Natalie Portman for a, an hour network drama. Yeah. Good luck with that. So, um, yeah, I, I think, 
hey, if it's not our mode of transportation, it's not the right mode of transportation, I guess would be the simplest story explanation. But uh, he got what he wanted, and uh, it was destroyed, or at least that one was, Matt. Phew, we're all safe from the big black rock. We floated the possibility before. Let's re-examine it here when it's time to think about such things. Is May powered, enhanced, inhuman? Uh, I think it would be kind of cheap. And given that you already have you know, a young woman, one person on the team who is powered, I think to kind of shoehorn, you know, whose story I might add took uh, what, you know, had the, the second half of the season um, to, to evolve. Uh, I think it would be shoehorned in to suddenly have maybe super powered. I'm just going to say, Pete, not all heroes are super. However, Melinda May is super on her own. And I like her just the way she is. Let me ask it another way. Is this a preview to her gaining some sort of superpowers? Uh, I'm still going to go no on that, but a little less emphatically, because clearly this is a show whose designs are to have multiple powered people by the end of the season. Um, Probably their image for season four is a different type of show than we have for season three. Um, and probably really down the line, they're hoping who can we bring over to an Inhumans movie if we, the agents of shield production can, can have a role in that or, you know, if not a, if not a driving force. Um, but I'm still going to say no powers for May. What happened with uh, May's father? Was that ward Matt? I think if Ward wanted to kill May's dad, May wouldn't have a dad anymore. I think it's a good it's it's a good little jab for Hunter to suggest. Um, flip side is, could I see some sort of Iago-esque scene in which Ward says to May, I, I hope you got my message. I care about you so greatly that all I did was break your father's hip and not kill him. Um, I think that's equal possibility as well. I could see him saying that, not having done it, just to get in her head, given their uh, laundry in the past. There's no way he did this. If his brutality on the boat shows us anything, like you said, if he wanted it done, the thing would be done. Why just break a hip when you can break a soul? And speaking of souls, Matt... What has happened to poor Gemma Simmons here that she's fashioning prison weapons? I, again, will take the slightly more meh road. I fear that next week in the first two acts, it's going to be her at like the shield, you know, kitchen table or whatever, sipping on some hospital grade apple juice and be like, there were terrible (laughs) creatures and I had to fend for myself and protect myself and use all my wits and oh it was awful Fitz awful in fact I could tell you more oh no red alert we're under fire from general guy with the mustache and we're not going to return to this that's my fear that they're not going to spend too much time here uh, unlike say flip side the the new Caprica bit on Battlestar Galactica where you go oh you're only there like an episode and a half that's lame because you filmed another episode that you're going to flash back to later in the season and it's going to all be 
have this epic feel to it. I think they're, I think they had a hook to end the season, and now it's a new season, so they're getting rid of the hook. Transmissions. Time to open the mailbag, Matt. Let's check the wire. Indeed, Pete. Couple of emails. First here from Bob, who says, "Hi guys, nice to have you back doing AOS." I really enjoyed the beginning of season three. I just got the Blu-ray of season two a week ago, and I've been working my way through that season again. It takes me a while because of work and family. I don't see how you guys managed to do so much podcasting. Anyway, I was reminded that season two is so good because it, bas- it is basically two shorter seasons, the first 10 episodes and then the last 12. That made a very tightly constructed season. Uh, The lesson here is uh, that it is much easier to have a sustained plot over half a season than a full episode. Let's hope they do that again. I think the hiatus for Agent Carter, another brisk eight episodes, made made Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a better show. So uh, your thoughts there, Pete, from Bob Keeley, or about Bob Keeley. First off, Bob, thanks for writing in. Secondly, congratulations on being one of the few who can own the iTunes uh, I'm sorry, the Amazon.com exclusive Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Blu-ray that uh, was being absolutely gouged for $75, so much so that the reviews, negative review after negative review, not about the content, and go read them on Amazon.com, but about Amazon's price to the point that they had to lower it by some $20, still I think a little overpriced when it's all on Netflix. But anyway, yes, a lot of good points raised there. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you, Bob, our secret here about how we managed to do so much podcasting. Uh, Fitz built a machine and uh, we get to have 25 (laughs) hours a day. So it all works out. Pete, uh, next email from Will here, who sent it um, about an hour and a half ago, right after the show ended. Uh, Will Quinones said, epic show tonight. The show has come a long way. And now with Secret Warriors, the ATCU, can you say sword? Ward bringing Hydra back to life with a badass new logo. And Robot Hand, great band name. They have a dearth <laughs> of content to, de- to delve into and keep us on our toes. Who needs tentpole movie tie-ins now? This show can stand alone, but the six MCU references last week were pretty cool. Can't wait to listen to the podcast in the morning. And then Pete, in his concluding words... He tells me that he's one of you and not one of me. He says, "Hail Hydra." Well, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about there. I will say that I uh, agree with a lot of those points there. I love that he's he's talking about the epic nature here, and I know Matt, you and I were exchanging via text on top of the tweets and everything else we're doing here as we were getting through the show and getting ready to podcast you know you're talking oh a quick easy breezy episode and i'm like ah more notes than last week (laughs) (laughs) so i think everybody's getting what they want out of this show right now and i think that's the hallmark of of good tv no it it doesn't need those tentpole movies but it's richer for them and it can be both ways you don't need to be watching ant-man and you know age of ultron but if you do and then come back to this hey it only enhances everything that's going on it doesn't detract hail hydra 
By the way, wait, what? Uh, I just wanted to point something out that Will reminded me. Uh, I'm 99% sure when I went back to listen to last week's podcast that I multiple times called the ATCU the ACTU. I'll let viewers decide whether that is uh, an insight into me connecting it to the ACLU and whether that <laughs> whether whether that comes from a point of view of of positive or negative. So that's just up to the viewers there. Well, uh, stay tuned for a Fantastic Geek political podcast coming never. With that, Pete, mailbag closed. Do you have any decrypted transmissions? I don't, but a surefire way to guarantee that your words are heard on our podcast, a way that you help others and help us, is to leave a review for our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast on iTunes. Um, certainly helps other people find us. It helps uh, us further publicize all that we do across the Marvel Cinematic Universe, be it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Amazon Woman and Robot Hand, and all the other Marvel shows in development. Yeah, we're going to have to start talking Luke Cage pretty soon, Pete. Oh, Matt, it's it's not overwhelming. Like you said, I mean, thank God we have 25 hours in a day now. And this is, they this better, is on the eve of the eve of New York Comic Con when that's just going to be a, a sensory onslaught of, of content and emotions. Um, so beyond that, Matt, we have this little giveaway. We do. I'm, I'm actually holding it. Right, it's, it's you still are. in the bag. Yes, and people may want to be in on the giveaway. So let me tell you how to do that. Um, through this fall block of shows, we are running a giveaway where every time you share, you tag either via Twitter or via Facebook. Uh, we'll explain how to get on both in a little bit. But if you're following or liking, you can tag a non-follower, non-liker to this point. And every time you do that, we are, of course, notified of that. And we increase our sphere of influence a little bit. And you add yourself to the raffle for something you may want to win. Fun, fun, fun. Can't wait in the, uh, you know, as we get to the end of the block here in uh, December. Can't wait to see who is the winner, winner, chicken dinner. With that, Pete, you know what the real winners are online, on the social media eye? It's the people who get to interact with you on Twitter, and how can they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L. AAR 6,437 followers can't be wrong. I am, of course, personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. And you can be in touch with the podcast, though, in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. And you can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, and the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. There is facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, all one word, again with the PH. Like us today, and you'll like everything we go on there to say. 
Ooh, fun, fun, fun. With that, Pete, I'm going to go pack my bag for New York Comic Con. Hope to see other people there. Well, we'll see other people. Hope to see some of you people there. Say hi. Uh, on Friday, I'll have the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast logo t-shirt. Logo, of course, courtesy of our pal in the U.K., Ian Knight. Uh, and we'll have some buttons to hand out if you say hi as well. Uh, they'll be on my backpack, so if you see the logo from behind, um, thanks for looking at the backpack. And uh, we'll, we'll give you a button. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. I know New York Comic Con is a private party, but it's okay. I'm on the list.